very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material going back all the way to 2008, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and choose among all the subscription types we have. It's time. Give yourself the gift of truth. And for media inquiries, you want to be a guest, you are a whistleblower, or you want to contact me, just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the contact button. I want to hear from you. And tonight, by the request of so many of you, we bring a veteran of this program back. Remember Clark McClelland? Listening to his last interview was very informative, but it was also literally very painful due to all the pain he was enduring and still is enduring today. However, Clark and I have been in touch ever since, and I wanted to wait for the right time to have him back. I wanted him to be rested so that he could speak without his pain taking over. I wanted him to be confident that the Veritas platform was the right place for him to share his truth without any fear whatsoever, so that he could thoroughly discuss his story unimpeded. This interview was just recorded and it's airing the same day. That way we can lend Clark a hand as soon as possible because he needs it. I will start the program with a wonderful message he received from two friends who heard about him. They flew all the way from New Mexico to Florida to spend a day with Clark. Their names are Rainbow and Mike, and this is what they had to say. To read and hear about the word whistleblower, brings to mind the unimaginable and daunting task it must be to be in the constant line of fire, to be called dishonest, a disinformation agent, crazy, or a conspiracy nut, are only a few of the names carried on the shoulders of such brave men and women. The stigma never goes away, and the weight of its meaning can debilitate the heart and soul of any individual who should voluntarily carry its burden. One such whistleblower Clark McClellan has walked the walk of a truth seeker, enduring hardships and ill health, and yet fearlessly carrying on with his message, a message that has not changed through the course of time. Looking into Clark's eyes, it was easy to see his convictions glimmering through his eyes. They never faltered, not even with his bouts with intense physical pain that he endured throughout our visit. Images, stories, and friendships all merged together becoming clear and comprehensible, as Clark explained each account of his life and those close to him. I sat across from Clark 
wishing things were different for him and thinking that if a man like him can be taken down to poverty, are there no limits to what these people can do? It's different when you see intelligence and passion slowly ebbing away from a weakened body. It's different when you see a whistleblower face to face and you know there isn't much you can do to help them. I realized I could only give Clark my support and admiration, but in the scheme of things, this feels like so little. Maybe friendship becomes more important to a whistleblower because the road they walk can become very lonely. Interestingly enough, Clark gave me a gift without me even realizing it at first. One day thinking back about our wonderful dinner, I finally understood what makes history happen. It's men and women like Clark McClelland who are willing to take on the modern Goliaths of our time, just like the unassuming David did. Perhaps if we are lucky, whistleblowers like Clark will be victorious in not just seeking the truth, but in getting it out to the masses. It's truth that changes history. But the real question is, can society handle the truth? Now this is Mike speaking. I have read that he is a liar, a hoax, and a con man. Rainbow and I sat with him He's none of the above. We saw him and we saw his evidence. Maybe not all, but more than enough to call him the real thing. The game of the government is to discredit him as the patriot he is. As Rainbow has stated, Clark lives in a state of poverty. So I'm asking you to go to his website, stargate-chronicles.com and buy something, anything. Get a piece of history to support this man. Just buy a chapter of his book or all of them for a couple of dollars. Anything helps to keep this man alive and maybe recover to a more normal life. His website again, stargate-chronicles.com or Google Stargate Chronicles. Thank you, Rainbow and Mike. New friends of Clark McClellan. And directly from somewhere in Florida, I would like to welcome my friend, Clark McClellan. Hello, Clark, and welcome back to Veritas. Thank you, Mel. You've got a fantastic show, and how you can work it all during the day like you do is beyond me. Anything that has to do with, to do with the truth and truth seekers, that's where I, will, where I will be, Clark. Clark, last time we spoke, a lot of our listeners were so kind to lend you a hand. People send yeah. you computers. They send you, you know, money. They bought some of your products. Yeah, they helped me a lot. Thank you. I appreciate that. So hopefully we can do this again this time. But I really want to focus on your story once again, because we, yeah. because of the pain, last time it was a little bit difficult. But let's just get back. Last time we discussed chapters 1 to 10. If anybody wants to hear more about that, buy the chapters or go back to the interview we did some time ago. Just Google okay. it within our website. But the first chapter I was reading, uh, let's see, Major Charles Wilson. Let's go in steps here. Charlie Wilson, this is a World War II top fighter ace whom you met. That's was there right. a connection between Major Wilson and the famous UFO incident of Captain Thomas Martell? Yes, he did. What did he know, if anything? He was Thomas Mantell's top officer where Thomas Mantell was, was flying out of in and uh, where was it? I forgot the damn state now. Anyway, whatever state it was. And uh, Major Charles Wilson, I met, I spoke with him many, many times. 
he gave me one of his prized possessions, a P-51 Mustang that he flew and shot down German fighters with. And he told me stories about what Thomas Mantell did. He was at the crash site of Thomas Mantell, who was still in this pilot seat dead. And uh, he, 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 he said that there was a, uh, Thomas Mantell was, 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 was chasing a very large object that he, that he described as being like a discordal, discordal disc, a disc type shape craft and uh that's what thomas mantell told major wilson and then he flew off and then he chased this uh, this here object and then he crashed and died thomas mantell major wilson was at a crash site he knew he could see what happened with his aircraft it was all crushed up really destroyed what do you think happened to Mantel? You think that uh, he was climbing to the point that he passed out or maybe died? I think that's probably the truth. In fact, Major Wilson even said that to me. He thinks he, he passed out because he flew beyond the altitude. His, P, his P-51 could, 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 could reach at that time. And I'm not sure if he had or did not have any oxygen on board. I can't recall that. If he didn't have any oxygen, then it, no doubt he passed out. Well, if he was coming down and he did not eject, then probably he passed out or maybe That's right. yeah, no, died, he didn't right? Eject, didn't do nothing like that. Uh-uh. So, Clark, we'll be jumping around topics. So I'm, I'm, okay. I'm sure you're going to be on your feet today. You sound much better than last time. Hard to get her on my feet because it hurts too much. I know. Let's talk about James B. Irwin, Apollo 15 lunar module pilot. He was someone yeah. close to you oh, and yeah. close to your age and someone who was born and raised very close to you in, in Pittsburgh. During a yeah. meeting you had with him, you wanted clarification about his Apollo 15 mission to the Hadley-Apennine area of the... The Hadley Apennine region of the of the moon. It's the mountainous area. What did you discuss with them? Well, I'll tell you where we met. We met in the airport of Philadelphia. I was flying in to do a lecture at the colleges there, and he was leaving, having done lectures at the colleges. And I was looking through the hundreds, or if not thousands, of people's faces, and I caught his face, maybe about fifty feet away, when I. I yelled at him, James, Jim. He looked over at me and said, Clark. He came running past the other people, and we shook hands and gave a hug. And he, he and I went to a table. He said, I got a half an hour to talk with you, Clark. We went back to a, an area where we both had a soft drink, and we were talking there about his Apollo 15 lunar mission. And I said, Jim, can you please disclose to me what you personally observed and, and experienced there. He said, okay, but there's some things I can't talk about. I said, I, I'm very, I'm very aware of that. So we sat down. He was talking about he was the first lunar module driver on the moon. And so he was driving about on that there vehicle, and uh, he came upon sites that he could not... Uh, could not in any way uh, make a mistake as being 
mining efforts, mining on the moon in his Hadley Rill area. And I said, mining? He said, yes. I said, James, I didn't, I, I don't, well, before the Apollo missions, you're the first one that, that, that landed at Hadley Rill. Who the heck else could be there? He said, Clark, take a guess. <laughs> so uh, he let me think about that. And then uh, also he saw objects flying over his head that were UFOs. They would sweep in and fly off and sweep in, observing him and his other companion. And then he would uh, he would observe as much of them as he could. And as he went back, as he drove back with his his lunar rover, he was seeing things in the distance above some of the mountains that had the real. And he said, Clark, the buildings looked like crystalline buildings. He said, they looked like crystalline buildings. And I said, crystalline? He said, yes, actual what looked like buildings, like sides and fronts and all this and that. So he was seeing that above some of the Apennines there. And that's about all I can say about him. He was my good friend from Pittsburgh, where we were both first born. I was born five years after he left Pittsburgh. I only met him at the Kennedy Cape Canaveral Kennedy Space Center when he was there for Apollo 15 and other missions that he was backing up. I loved the man. He was one heck of a wonderful person. He was very religious. He actually explored explored for the the um, he explored for the uh, Noah's Ark on Mount uh, whatever the mountain is there in Turkey. Ararat. Ararat. He he explored there. He was there a second or third time, and he fell about a thousand feet and broke his leg and cracked some ribs. And almost died. But he he was very very religious, very holy. Now, what about uh, mining for helium three, which is something that the late you probably have heard the name Ingo Swan, uh, the remote viewer, he discussed that in detail in his book Penetration. Yeah. Ingo right. said that Ingo said they were human slaves. Did Irwin mention if it was human or ETs mining? No, he didn't mention nothing like that. He couldn't say that because he looked at only a site that was mined out. Mm. So, anyway, uh, that's what he told me. So he did, he did see mining there. And his other teammate uh, would not mention a, a single word to me. So I won't even mention who he is. And, of course, helium-3 is a non-radioactive form of energy, a non-radioactive isotope of helium with two protons and one neutron. It is rare on Earth, and it is sought for in nuclear fusion and fourth-generation nuclear weapons research. We, with one container, one space shuttle container, we could actually light the United States for an entire year. That's right. That's right. right. That's right, but the shuttles can't fly to the moon. Yep. They couldn't fly there. But now here, another thing. Each of the landing sites of Apollos on the moon are ripe with helium-3. Why? Because NASA and the scientific community they have that studies this, astronomers, astrophysicists, they all told NASA 
that helium-3 did exist up there, and with some of our unmanned craft that went up, like Survey or whatever else, they were able to tell that it was there on the surface of the moon. There's that. There's very, very little of that on this, on the planet Earth. But there is a massive amount on the moon. So there, we have no moon program. We supposedly have no moon program going back there. And Russia and India and also China are heading Japan. there. Japan. Huh? Uh, China and Japan and, and India, right. Is this why, Clark, what you just said, that all these landing sites are are full of helium-3. Is this why they are now off limits for any other nation, especially Russia, China, Japan, India? That's right. NASA and the U.S. government, when it did exist, and it doesn't anymore, it's now the New World Order, and the USA doesn't exist anymore. Now, people are going to hear that and probably laugh at me, but I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, the New World Order was supported by every president as far back as I can remember. So they were all working with the New World Order to uh, deliver the United States to that that order. What, what authority, Clark, do we have as a nation to tell another sovereign nation that they cannot even go to the landing sites where we were? Are we just claiming with our flags that that is ours? No, just not that. We've been back to the moon. We have been back to the moon since then, and actually, Mel, before we landed our Apollos on the moon. Okay? I'm sorry I have to say that, except for the fact that, yes, Neil Armstrong was the first human we know that walked on the moon with Buzz Aldrin. Okay? There are bases on the back of the moon. Also, there are humans on Mars. There are humans on Mars because uh, the uh, vice president of, uh, of Bush, who was his name? What was his name? Quail? No, the uh, no, Quail. He was an idiot. The other man. Cheney. Cheney. Okay. He's a smart man. He was given the, the proposal to create a New World Order astronaut corps. That's who's flown back to the moon, and they have flown to Mars. They're there on Mars already with a base or two there. Now, go ahead, laugh. Whoever is listening to this, go ahead, laugh. But I was there. None of you were. I'm not lying to you. Nothing to lie about. Mel, Mel wanted me to come on and, and spill whatever I could, and I'm doing that. You're going to hear things you don't want to even believe. But that's the way it is. Believe it or not, that's don't, the way don't, it is. don't worry about becoming defensive, Clark. We have a different kind of audience here. So, and okay. Irwin, did he see any artificial structures on the moon? Did he tell you anything about that? Just this crystalline, what looked like crystal buildings in the back backdrop of the mountains that had the real... Now, I don't know what they are. I have never seen them myself, so I don't have any idea what they are. What's on the far side of the moon, Clark? Far side has a couple bases, at least the fires there, and a uh, uh, couple bases that are there, and uh, and we've got uh, we are able to launch from there out to Mars and wherever else that we have to. Okay, 
It's a perfect place. I mean, we can never see it. The moon oh, yeah. is a very, very peculiar object. I mean, I right. think in our solar system, maybe there's another moon that behaves like our moon where we can never see the other side. Perfect place for surveillance. Oh, yes, of course it is. And that's exactly what it's used for. Now, you're mentioning here when I'm going down the list you sent me about Ingo Swan. That's right. He mentioned H3 and Irwin mentioned it. And uh, Jim's dead and, and Ingo Swan is dead now. Who knows, I may be dead tomorrow morning because of this, this radio show. I have no idea. And this is something that some people have to understand. I want to play devil's advocate here for a moment. What about the comfortable retirement, health benefits, etc., to, to, to offer their families? Is this why astronauts don't speak out? Oh, absolutely. Could you imagine earning a nice retirement? Having all those years with NASA, the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, whatever else, like Alan Bean and Alan Shepard. Yes, that's why they stay quiet. See, I, they canceled my retirement. That's why I'm a blabbermouth now. That's right. I have no retirement. They destroyed my 34 years there. I helped launch and witness now 690 missions from there. That's a lot of rockets and money. So that's the way it is. You know, I'm looking at all the pictures that you have in your chapters. All the yeah. the people had autographed their photographs to you. Oh, yeah. And also pictures of you with famous people, with Von Braun, with right next to President Kennedy. You either are, you know, some people may say, wow, he's he was either there or he's a master in Photoshop. No, I don't know nothing about Photoshop. I, don't, I couldn't even start to try. I'm not that smart with computerization, okay? My fiance I had was, and she helped me a great deal. But I guess after five and a half years, she decided maybe to probably move on to somebody else, but I'm not sure of that either. Uh, what about, uh, Clark, what is the Cape Kennedy Kecksburg UFO connection? I was there, and I observed what was there, what crashed in Kecksburg. It was not extraterrestrial. It was a Russian launch that they sent, was sent, were sending to Venus, and it failed in orbit around Earth. And the object that they were going to send to Venus, they were able to detach from the from the wreckage in orbit, and they flew that until they could not control it any longer. It came in from the Pacific over Canada, went down past uh, Michigan and other states, and then it came in over up just north of Pittsburgh, my hometown. It then made a turn to the right and fell in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, which is not very far from Pittsburgh, 30 miles maybe. Okay. So then... I heard of it with a friend of mine that recently died. Thank, I wish he was still with me. And he called and said, Clark, we have something down in Kecksburg. And I said, I know. We were tracking it at Cape Canaveral with our, with our dishes there. I said, uh, I'm going to see if I can work a trip up there. So they knew me because I was the UFO expert at Kennedy and Cape Canaveral. No one else had the knowledge I had there. Nobody. So Dr. Debus and, and Dr. Kurt Debus, the, the director of Kennedy Space Center, ordered me to be sent to, to Kecksburg. 
they sent a two two engine Learjet over, and one of the top uh, managers in technology there flew with me from there to Pittsburgh, and uh, and we were there no longer than maybe a few hours from when the when the Kecksburg object hit the ground in Kecksburg, and then we were we were we were kept at large we were kept at arm's length by the by the army because they didn't know who we were finally i put my nasa hat on and my nasa jacket they then realized we were set there so we went in to look at it it was in that gully that it fell into it wasn't damaged much at all and it was exactly what the it's exactly what the was the, I'm sorry, the anti-gravitic magnetic device was designed as, as the Nazi Bell anti-gravitic magnetic device. It fell in Kecksburg. The, the, the Glock? The D Glock. Wait a second. So you found that there was German engineering. Could it be that we got paperclip, Operation Paperclip here, we got some of the scientists, and the Soviets also got their share? Oh, Do you yes, think they did. that the German scientists had their fingerprints on this object? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. I met a couple of them that they said died at the end of World War II. They were in the office of the director of Kennedy Space Center, Dr. Kurt Debus, my good friend. I would go and visit Dr. Kurt Debus at his home and his wife and his daughter, beautiful young lady. I don't know if she lives here yet or has moved wherever she may have gone. So it was something written outside of the object? No, 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 no. I didn't see nothing like that. I knocked on it to see if I could get a response, but nothing responded. It was big, though. It was a good-sized object. What it was was exactly what we sent to to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base or Wright or Wright Field, and that that there was the Nazi Nazi Bell anti-gravitic magnetic device that was sent to Wright Field. That was found after they dissected and researched. What did our German scientists here say about it? Oh, they told me as much as they could, but a lot of them would shut up. So it was. It was picked up there by uh, by the U.S. military. I was there when they were picking it up. Then we had to fly back to the Cape Canaveral Airport. I flew back, and I wrote down about everything I could recall from it. And the other top manager flew with me. He wouldn't let me see anything he wrote. So he, he had to keep his, his retirement, too, from NASA. He, after that, retired, and then he died shortly after that. Actually, I'm the only one alive now. So with this, this object taken to one of our military bases, if this is in the 19... What, what years was that? 1965, I think it was, 65, right? 1965. 65. Do we have the technology today? Do you think the technology has evolved and perfected today and we're using it? Oh, of course it has. It's gone far beyond that. Wright Field, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is a very major, uh, very major uh, field office for our technology. They have four or five floors below the ground, and they took it apart, 
they were able to learn what was flying it, what, what, what it was, and they were able to reproduce something there, and they've flown it ever since, although I haven't seen anything like that. It was German engineering. The D-Glock, the D-Glock bell was German engineering. It looked like an egg corn. And that's exactly what the Kecksburg object looked like. How do you exactly. compare how do you compare Clark, the scientists that made it here from Germany to the ones that made it to the Soviet Union? Who got the best bunch? We got a large of the best bunch, but there were some of the very good bunch also that Dr. von Braun told me. I can't remember the scientist's name that went there with the Germ with the Russians, but but he went to Russia with several of the of the, the major scientists of Germany, and Dr. von Braun said, we wish we would have had them here, but we still accomplished what we had to do by landing our men on the moon. That's right. And by the way, Clark, I didn't know until now that your father, Clyde C. McClellan, had worked for NASA and had a high NASA clearance for the DOD and United States Air Force nuclear right. storage areas. Does that mean that he worked at NASA at the same time as you did? Exactly. He was there a year or two before me. My dad was there. And my mother got real bad sickness. And she had to move back north where the climate was more, was more, uh, would be more healthier for her. And then dad had to leave his job at the Kennedy Space Center. He was working on the, on the, uh, on the Apollo. Uh, he was working on the early days of the Apollo. He was work. He worked on the Mercury. The uh, the uh, he worked on the Mercury, the Gemini. He worked on all those programs. My father did. He came back from World War II, 100 percent disabled. From he was going over the Ramagan Bridge when the Germans were hitting it with with artillery fire. One of the beams at the top of the beam, the bridge fell, pinned him to the deck and crushed three of his vertebrae. He got up with pain. He joined General, General, he joined General Patton. Patton. He joined General Patton and he stayed with Patton until the pain was so bad he had to go back to France, Paris and, and stay in a the hospital there. They then turned they sent him back to the USA, Pittsburgh, the Veterans Hospital, and Dr. Lindstrom, the first husband of Ingrid Bergman, operated on my father two times and would not charge him a penny because he said my father was protecting his nation in Europe. My dad then was able to get up and work and be able to walk around. He then, with my mother and brother, left Pittsburgh in the 60s, 50s, I'm sorry. And he went to Cape Canaveral and joined with 16 of his other friends from Pittsburgh to join the NASA program there. Well, not NASA yet, because we were all there before NASA was formed. I was there two years before NASA was formed. I'm a real pioneer from Cape Canaveral and the Kennedy Space Center, a real pioneer. You mentioned, Clark, you mentioned General Patton. Let me just take a moment to discuss this for a moment. Everybody listens to the show knows that I have a fascination for knowing what happened to General Patton. What do you murdered. think? Yes, but for why, what reason do you think he was murdered? I'll tell you why. He got 
Dr. Hans Kammler, uh, Dr. Hans Kammler, an SS general, that Dr. Debus, who was the director, Dr. Debus was the director of the Nazi Bell anti-gravitic magnetic device in Poland. He was my friend, Dr. Debus. Hans Kammler uh, was called upon by Dr. Debus before he left to come to the USA with Dr. von Braun. And he said, you're taking over the uh, anti-gravitic magnetic device, the bell. We want you to keep it safe and keep it safe. And when we have an opportunity, we're going to have you bring it across to the United States. That's what exactly he did because General Patton realized what was being done and he got him his trip over on a ship with the actual bell device. Then right after that, the car the truck accident that Patton was in, he was in the back seat to the far left, the far, far, uh, the far right side in the back seat. The car that hit his, his, his vehicle, a truck, hit the front right side of the truck, and everybody I've spoken to, including his wife, said that that did not kill my husband. He was murdered there because of what he was involved in with the bell. Okay? Was it more than the bell? Eisenhower, could he have phased competition if Patton wanted to run for president? Well, Patton was forming to do that. He was trying to do that. He was he was getting himself ready to do that, so they didn't want Patton to come over. He was very famous. He would have beaten anybody, Truman, anybody else. So they had him murdered there. They had him murdered in a German hospital. He even said uh, at the end of the war, we beat the wrong enemy. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what he said. Patton wanted to go after the Russians. Right. That's right. Uh -huh. See how much history I know from people I've talked with? I've got books that would sell into the millions. I had one publisher in, in, in what's that part of China? Not directly in the, on the mainland. What's that part? That's part of China over there. China's a big place. but It, 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 it was just given to them recently and a few years ago. It wasn't there. It was part of the British Empire at the time. Oh, you mean Hong Kong? Hong Kong. I had a publisher from Hong Kong contact me. They said, we want you to send us three of your major chapters. I sent them three of the major chapters. They sent me an email back. This is great work. We will be back with you very soon. Watch for our email. A week or two later... I got an email. We have no further interest. We're sorry. That's all I ever heard from them. Was it Neil Gold who contacted you by, by chance? No, no, okay. no, all right. no. All right, that's fine. And do you know anything about, and this, I, I think this is beyond your research, but maybe you'll know, James Forrestal. What do you know about his death? He was murdered, too. He was driven to, he was thrown out the window. Why? But that's, huh? Because Why? of the knowledge he had about what was happening. James Forrestal was a, a, a patriotic, wonderful admiral in our Navy. Hold on, i got to sit up. Hold on.
So now you see you see what all I know, but I can't show you any paperwork or documents on this. That's fine. And you know that he was, uh, JFK was his protege. He was his mentor. JFK liked me. I met him twice at the Kennedy Space Center. But I'm saying Forrestal. Forrestal was his mentor. He was uh, Forrestal's protege. Oh, yeah, right. Well, John Kennedy, 12 days, 10 days before he was going to go to Dallas, had ordered his one department in technology, I forgot the name of it, to release to him all the UFO and alien contact information they had through the USA, US, United States government. So I believe personally that one of the reasons he was murdered in Dallas was that. One of the reasons. Because you had, you had, you had, you had Nixon there. You had uh, the FBI director there visiting at the time. And you had one or two other high officials in this government there. So I, I'm honestly sure that JFK was murdered. And that one of the reasons was he was going to have that sent to him in his office to go back to the read. Okay, here's what happened. He, he reached to, to, to shake my hand before he was leaving the Gemini Project launch pad. Um, what was the launch pad? 15 or Yeah, you, you told us this story the last time that he, you shook his hand with a note. I, I gave him a note, and he gave me one of, his, one of his presidential patches that I have on my website. It's for sale because I need money. I, I wouldn't sell it if I didn't, but it's on my website. I would sell it to anybody that would want to buy it. Let me, let me announce once again, the website is stargate-chronicles.com. Clark has a, a number of, of things that he sells there, including these these chapters. I mean, uh, he sent me a few months ago the, the last chapters we didn't discuss during the last interview, and I have to say, they just, all I can say is wow. So I hope that you can help Clark and buy them because we're not discussing all of it. This is just the... the tip of the iceberg, but Clark, throughout the book, you mentioned the very secretive TR-3B. How old is this craft? The three TR-3B, at this time in our history, is probably somewhere at 45 to 50 years old. Fit, wait, wait, 50 years old? That's right. Here's what you and this nation do not understand. Top, top secrets you never hear about because they don't want the, the people. I call the people the sheeple now. I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult anybody. But the people of this nation have no idea what is hidden from them. No idea. The TR-3B has been advanced since then. It's gone up to TR-3Cs, Ds, whatever else, and gone beyond that to another letter category I can't remember right now. It's still flying. That's the, the triangular craft that flies. That's and, you know, Clark, you, you may have seen footage of triangular craft visible via infrared goggles. Many people yeah, have posted right. these videos on, on the Internet, and I, I have personally seen them myself many oh, yeah. times. Yeah. Are these the same triangular craft that are flying above us, the, 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 the uh, TR-3B, or is this something else? And if it's something else, are they ours? Some of them are and some are not. We get technology from some of these aliens sometimes, and it helps us develop our own craft like the TR-3B. Because, you see, 
The Aryans from Aldebaran, a large reddish-orange star in the Hyades. Astronomers listening will remember and know what I'm talking about. The Aryan fleet that came to Earth during prior to World War II were assisting Hitler and his technology and his great scientists and engineers he had there to develop the first jet. They developed those heavy tanks that they that they that they had. My father was a tank commander in World War II. He went he took his entire crew out of his tank, went over to a forestry area to sit down and take a rest. One of the big tanks of the German what were they called, the Panther? Right. Whatever. One of them came out of the woods, shot at my dad's tank turret, and blew it completely off. If they would have been in the tank, he and his crew would have been dead. That's right. You see the history I have that people would love to hear? They won't let it out, though. Uh-uh. And they gave me what I have in my leg. So they're just now only waiting for me to die. That's what they're doing. Well, that's why we're trying to... And I don't mean to conduct this interview because we expect you to die. We're all going to die one day, Clark. But I think it's important to to leave a legacy and leave all this information out to the world. And That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do that. While you're alive, I hope people can appreciate what you did for not only the nation, but for the world in terms of becoming a, a whistleblower. Did you ever find through Von Braun, I will discuss Von Braun more in detail okay. later. Did you ever find out through Von Braun or any other German scientist what the so-called Foo Fighters were? The Foo Fighters? I could never find out too much about them. But um, I'm wondering if by chance maybe, maybe they were German advanced technology that was created by General, what was his name, the German general? Which one? Huh? Which one? Yeah, one of the, one of their greatest ones. But if that's the case, Clark, you would think that if they had that technology, why didn't they win the war? Mel, I would rather not say what I I know I should say, because a lot of the people who was listening will not believe it. Go ahead, take off your gloves. We lost World War Two to the Germans. Okay. When they overflew Washington, D.C. in 1952, Truman was in office yet, I believe. He was given orders. You see what we have now? We yeah. developed it. We developed it in the South Pole where we have laboratories. At his Shangri-La that was under the ice, it was built right into the geography under the ice. These Germans were very, very smart people. So that's what happened. Then what do you see happens then? In 1946, you have Dr. Von Braun and Paperclip happen. He brings a lot of the scientists and technicians here with him, and they are starting to build our rocketry. Our base at, the Cape, at Cape Canaveral in the Kennedy Space Center, up until Dr. Debus and Dr. Kenody and the rest of the Germans died and, and left it left there, was totally controlled by Germans. Now, I have some German in my blood, so I'm not cutting them down. Okay? So, wait a second. Is there a connection here between the, well, the lives that they saw 
above the U.S. Capitol in Washington, 1952. Oh, yes, that's exactly the end. That's it. Were they coming from Antarctica, from, from the they South Pole? They came from Antarctica. They flew from Antarctica all the way up to Washington, D.C., and they swept in. Our fighter planes at the time, which were, were nowhere near what we have now, uh, could not keep up with them. And, uh, and so we were given the order, you see what we've got. So what happened was the Germans took over our space program, we did land men on the moon because of Dr. Von Braun. They were my friends, so I'm not I'm not trying to cut them down in any which way. And Dr. Von Braun, when he went to the point where he could he could have gone lots further with NASA, they finally cut him off of there, and he went he went and joined a, another aircraft company, and he worked with them for a while. Then all of a sudden he had pancreatic cancer and he died. See, people can be given cancer and other diseases at hospitals, especially when they want you to come back with your health insurance and then pay the bills that the, the hospital needs to be paid. Oh, believe me, we've heard all these stories. It happens all the time. We recently yeah. lost lost uh, Dr. Rauni Kilde, uh, the yeah. former... Uh-huh. The chief medical doctor from from Finland, she knew about all of this, and oh, she yes. was given radiation, and she recently passed away. And by the way, I have some I have some news for you, folks. Remember that she had a book to publish. Well, I may have a surprise for you very soon that you won't hear it anywhere else. So stay tuned for, uh, to Veritas. But Admiral Byrd, let me just ask you about Admiral Byrd. This connection of of the UFOs in Antarctica, and as you probably know, the expeditions one and Admiral two. Byrd yes, went what there. do you know? He went there with a, a somewhat of a large fleet of ships, had aircraft and everything else. He went down, and the Germans and their advanced technology defeated him when he was down there. He had to come back to the United States. There was quite a few men lost down there, of course, but who knows who they were. You won't read about their deaths anywhere. So then he came back. He reported to the, uh, at one time once existed, the Senate and the U.S. Congress. And they heard what he had to say. And then President Truman heard it. And he realized what then was going to happen. Then in 52, it did happen. We were shown such advanced technology that Truman realized there was nothing we had that could compete with it and that we may as well hand the nation over to the Germans, which happened. And Bert's expedition should have lasted uh, two months and it only lasted two weeks. That's right, because they, they could hang in there. They didn't have anything to hang in there with anymore. Is this why Clark commercial planes, or any plane for that matter, cannot fly over the North or the South Pole? Well, it's one of the reasons for the uh, Antarctica, but I'm not sure how deeply that goes. I can't answer that. You're hearing a lot more than you heard the first time I was on with you. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I appreciate that, uh, Clark. Now, let me jump around. What was so important about the Gemini or Gemini Titan One mission? And you mentioned your, quote-unquote, uninvited guests. Tell us about your involvement in the mission and who the four uninvited guests were. There was a missile or a rocket, and all of a sudden it was escorted by four unidentified flying objects. You remember that? Oh, okay. 
that was Gemini one or two. Yeah. I can't recall which one or two. They were one. both unmanned. We sent the second Gemini up into the Earth orbit, and four disc-shaped objects fell in front, back, and side by side, and viewed it for about a, a one orbit. And after that, they left the Gemini. They didn't bring it down or nothing. And that's exactly what happened. I was there when it happened. Yes. Now, let's talk about the Nazi bell once again, the anti-gravitic magnetic device. Is this the name the same as the D-Glock you referred to? It's the same thing. The D-Glock was called the clock. The D-Glock was clock. It's a clock. That's what they named it. Why? I have no idea. And then it was that. It was the it was the, the anti-gravitic magnetic device. When they were developing it in Poland, they had said they had scientists and technicians dying because of what it was what it was dealing with. Wait a second. You say it's called. It, they call it the clock. Do you think that because he had a plasma vortex device that it could have been a time travel machine? It was that. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't remember that, but it, it was, it's a time travel. It was also something that could be flown into space like the Russians did that crashed in Kecksburg, okay? You see how much you're not at a, you have no knowledge of? You see? Where do you think this technology resides today and for what purpose? Wright-Patterson, Texas. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, underground. I know it's there. And uh, the ship that was taken from Kecksburg was taken there. It was uh, it was back engineered, and then from that point they were able to build advanced models of the of the DeGlock. And it's far beyond that now. It's far beyond the DeGlock now. But I don't know what it is now. I left there twenty some years ago. They cut me off from everybody. Astronaut friends of mine would not send me an email or a letter anymore. They destroyed my life, Mel. My wife divorced me. My son died at age 19. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. My car was stolen. We lost our home. I could not support my family anymore. The only job I could find was with Walt Disney World for four and a quarter an hour when I went to Orlando. So you see how they suff- made me suffer? They made me suffer. Now, there's been two attempts to kill me, but I carry a weapon. They know I'm a crack shot, so they don't get very close to me, even though I guess a sniper could get me sooner or later. Now, Clark, let me go back to the Challenger for a moment. You knew the crew of the Challenger, uh, Space Shuttle, uh, Judy Resnick, Ellison Onisuka. You knew all of them. He he mentioned uh, Onisuka. He mentioned to you once about what yes. he he was led to a theater room and he was shown a movie. What did he tell you? He was led to McClellan Air Force Base out in California when it existed there. My 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 name, McClellan Air Force Base, and he was there with several more top officers that were being placed in astronaut training. They were sent there to see who would talk about it when they left there. 
He didn't talk about it when he left there. He flew two missions. The second mission, he died in the Challenger. So Onizuka was a fine man. He did see aliens on a on a on a what do you call it a a, a, a what do you call it in hospitals a a Guernsey a gurney. Yeah, he saw two aliens, two of the smallest looking ones with the big heads and large eyes. He did see them there, and he said everybody there gasped when they when they came on the screen. Then they were all taken out of there eventually released to go back to their, their home bases, wherever that was. Then they were watched closely to see if they were telling their families or anyone else about this. And Onizuka did not talk about it at all. He told me that. But then he died in the Challenger with Judy and and the school teacher, Christopher Chris McAuliffe. Yep. Christopher McAuliffe. I met them all, wonderful people. And then the, the Columbia was also destroyed by, no, the Challenger was destroyed by sabotage. We had 19... Yeah, we, we, dis, we discussed this during the last time. Let's not spend too much time on that. Okay. Now, now, Onisuka, since he couldn't ask questions, Onisuka, about what he saw, the movie, what do you think was the purpose of showing him and, and others the alien footage? To test the astronaut trainees that were there to mm. see who would would make it through that that viewing and be able to be accepted. Onizuka did not talk about anything after he saw that. He did after he was he was in, through his first mission and when he was uh, uh when he was working at the Kennedy Space Center preparing for the Challenger mission I met him at one of the buildings there, and we walked across the lawns and all. We discussed this and that. And then he eventually told me right then and there before he took his second flight with the Challenger that the uh, what he did see, he saw aliens on a Guernsey. He said, keep it to yourself, Clark. I'm flying again. I said, I will. I kept it totally to myself until he was killed. And is it true that the... That they were all alive when they hit the water? Yes, they were. They were screaming and swearing, and Judy was, Judy was, she had a, quite a cussing. She had, she could cuss really good. <laughs> <laughs> so Judy was cussing on the way down. The other ones were crying and screaming and hollering. When it hit the ocean, it eventually sank, of course. And it wasn't but a month or two later before they found it and brought it up. The bodies had been eaten away with sea life. Okay. That long took them to recover the bodies? That's right. Why? I can't answer that. And why not a parachute? The parachutes were destroyed. The whole vehicle was... Uh, the only part that survived it was their crew compartment. Yeah. That's all. Everything else was in fire falling from the sky. I was there. I saw it all hitting the ocean. I saw the crew compartment hit the ocean and splash. Now, what about the Columbia? Again, I don't remember our discussion last time. What do you think happened to the Columbia? Well, it was a spy mission uh, that an Israeli pilot was carrying out. He had a, he had a, uh, a new type of camera and detection device when he was going to fly over the, I guess, the Muslim states in the Mediterranean and wherever else. 
and uh, actually it had tile break loose as it was leaving the ground. So uh, that combined with another thing, I believe, was what caused it to explode and fall apart and hit in Texas and Louisiana. Somebody told me that usually space shuttles would uh, orbit from east to west in, in the entire history of the space shuttle. This was the only time when they were flying from west to east. Is that true? Oh, no. No, no. That's not true. Okay. No way. Uh-uh. I can vouch for that. That's not true. They were coming in from over the Pacific, and they were feeling things happening, and then something 22, 23,000 miles up in orbit was launched from there. It circled down like a rocket. It hit the tail end of that that shuttle, and it blew apart. Now, I can't prove that with anything. Right, but it was going from the Pacific, and it crashed in Texas, so it was going from west to east. Usually, they travel. You know, that's why they land in Florida. Sometimes they go to the, to the Mojave Desert in California. So, did you see, during your time, shuttles going from west to east and east to west? Audi, uh, maybe one or two, because they were going to land at Wright-Patterson or someplace like that. Mm, okay. Not Wright-Patterson, but out at, well, uh, 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 what's, the, what's the base? White Sands. And White, White Sands, Sands. They, yeah. they could accept shuttles there. Uh-huh. Boy, you're hearing a hell of a lot tonight, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Last question before we, we uh, promote Again, your website and all the products. One West question, and I'll get your answer on the other side. We're going to talk about Von Brown and what he knew. One time you joined Von Brown, Dr. Von Brown, while he was smoking a cigarette, and you had a long discussion with him, and I want you to tell us what he told you, but you tell us on the other side. Now, the website is stargate-chronicles.com. What can people expect? What .com? What can people expect when they go to your website? They can buy the chapters to read, or they can find down there a very rare piece of history I have. Apollo 15, astronaut James Irwin, brought me back gold from the lunar module. The, the base of the lunar module that he flew there in was covered with Kapton gold, 24-karat gold. It was like cigarette package paper like the cellophane, but it was very strong. Now, NASA, the only reason they'd ever tell me what it was there for was it was there because of dust proofing. Why would you put 24 karat gold on dust proofing material? Here's the reason why it was flown there with that. There was a chemical additive to the 24 karat gold that kept them from having problems with radiation in the radiation belt that circles the Earth. The astronauts fly through it and fly back, and they wouldn't be harmed much. That's why the gold capped on was on it. So Jim Irwin chopped up several pieces of it, brought it back, and gave it to me. And I, give, I put a piece of that on a, on a, on a gold on a, inside a, a six-by-four frame, six-by-four-inch frame, not big, but it's a hell of a piece of rare footage. It's, it's very few people on Earth has a piece of gold from the moon. Out of our two, out of our billion and two hundred million, or how many people exist on the planet Earth now? How many do? How many are there? Seven. Seven billion. 
7 billion out of the 7 billion on earth out of the 7 billion on earth i have in the past had to i gave it away as gifts to wounded soldiers from iraq vietnam or anywhere else or or, or an old age marriage that was maybe 75 years long or maybe 50 years long i would send it free of charge to those people but now i can't do that if I can sell that and get some money, it would help me greatly because I'm in deep poverty. Understood. And you, you were kind enough to send me one of those that I display here in my studio right, right. now. And so, so the goal was mainly to protect the astronauts from entering or exiting, actually, the Van Allen belt? The Van Allen belt, yes. It, it helped protect them going through the Van Allen belt. That's right. Some people say it's impossible to go through it, but if you're only just going through it for a small period of time. How long does it take while they're going through it? Do you know? I'm sorry, I can't answer that exactly by minutes or how many of this or that, but it is not long at all. Not long at all. Uh-uh. Okay. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. We have another hour coming up with Clark McClelland, a whistleblower that finally can speak its truth without anybody trying to debunk him, trying to ridicule him. We're here just to listen with an open mind, and I hope you can support him. I want to thank once again those people who helped them last time. Some people sent computers, uh, money. They uh, donated through PayPal. They bought some of his, his items, and that helped them quite a lot. So I hope that we can do the same thing now. Unfortunately, if you're a whistleblower in the United States, allegedly the government protects you. But if Clark is an example of somebody who's protected, but then you know that is not true. This is Mel Fambergas. You're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Much more when we return with Clark McClelland. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, detoxified iodine, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. Go on, go on. He said, 
Dreaming, 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 dreaming